Turn to Titus, if you would, please. The book of Titus. It's a little book in the, towards the back of the Bible. Uh, it's with the Timothys, Thessalonians, that kind of area before we get to Hebrews and James and, and whatnot. Um, Titus. It's, it's so small, you will probably miss it if you skip pages, right? It's basically one page in my Bible. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Um, we are finishing up today with our series, uh, Watch Your Mouth. We've been talking about how to watch our mouth and that we should watch our mouth. And I just want to go through a, a small recap of a couple of those sermons so we're aware of where we've been. I would highly encourage you to go uh, online, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, and to download uh, our church podcasts on this topic, uh, to listen to those over and over, and to be reminded about uh, the content that we have gone through. There's a lot of information there. Um, I, I told you that we will be developing a sheet, also like a one sheet for this topic, as an encouragement that you can stick in your Bible just with definitions, with questions to ask ourselves. That is still coming out. It'll probably be available right about the first of the year, uh, maybe before, uh, if we get through some of this uh, holiday rush too, but uh, that will be coming out as well. Well, we started uh, in James talking about the power of the tongue, and, and James revealed that the tongue is very powerful. It's like a small rudder, but it directs the whole course of the ship, right? And, and if we're not careful, that rudder, if not steered properly and in the right direction uh, over a given amount of time, we'll, it, we'll, we will end up in an entirely different dis- destination than where we wanted. And I, I argued that we were probably there as the Christian church, that we were probably in a place that we thought we were okay, but we were actually in a different destination with our mouths than where we thought we should be. And, and we went on to talk about the next week, uh, the carelessness of our speech, and that we, we need to understand that, that careless speech is accountable to God, that we have to give an account for every careless word that we speak, and that careless speech comes from a careless heart. Careless speech comes from a careless heart. So it's so important for us, as we think about what we say and how we say it, that we analyze what is going on right here? What, what is causing me to say those things or desire that kind of talk? We went on from there starting to define uh, more specifically different types of speech or, or how we would talk. One was anger, right? We talked about the slow boil of anger and how we kind of grumble inside because maybe we're, we're irked or irritated. Or maybe someone was rude. Maybe we were offended. Maybe someone came against us. But oftentimes that anger, that slow boil of anger or grumbling comes from pride within, right? It comes from pride within. Uh, not only is there a slow boil of anger or grumbling, but it's also in the way we offer judgmental speech against somebody. And, and judgmental speech was uh, defined as speech that would, would make me the person who convicts and condemns. That I would look at your life or you would look at my life and we would speak authoritatively on the subject and condemn each other. That's judgmental and we don't do that. We aren't sitting as the sentencing judge. We are someone who has been pardoned by the sentencing judge through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are to love and to, uh, and, and to not let judgment and anger and, and grumbling come out of our mouths. Then we looked at sarcasm. That was a fun day, wasn't it? We looked at sarcasm, and, and we looked at boasting and, and flattery, right? We, so sarcasm is, is kind of saying something jokingly at the expense of someone else. We talked about there's a time and place for that as long as the other person knows and feels loved by that and doesn't feel hurt or sinned against by that. And that you and I, don't get to determine what they feel, that you and I are responsible to ask them, did I sin against you? Did I hurt you? I'm sorry, and, and check in with them. And I've had to do that several times since hearing Hoyt's sermon on that topic, right? I, I want to reiterate, like, I, I'm sorry I said that. Was that hurtful to you? Do you, do you understand I was joking or that I was in jest? And some of the things I just, it's not valuable to say. They're not worthwhile. And if they're not worthwhile, it makes them worthless, and I should just eliminate them altogether, 
We also talked about boasting, right, where, where I wanted to puff me up. Look at me, at the, and usually at the expense of someone else. When I puff me up, I usually uh, push somebody else down. There's the other side of it, where it's flattery, where I, I tell you how good you are when really maybe you're not that good, right? And, and the danger of that, what Hoyt brought that about, was this. I can go out to an unbelieving world who is lost and dying in their sin and say, hey, you're good, it's okay, you're trying your hardest. Are they good? Are they okay? Even if they're trying their hardest, does their hardest actually count? Not at all. If I go around flattering them, they will not hear the good news, which is they can't do enough good. They can't be good enough, but Jesus was, and they can have life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's what should come out of my mouth is good news, not flattery, which, which ultimately leads them astray and they die in their sins, right? We saw that, that those kinds of talk comes from pride or maybe shame. Next, we went last week, we, we talked about some really hot topics, didn't we? We were hit with gossip and slander and critical speech. We defined gossip as information that was not yours, that you were sharing freely, or, or, or you were desiring information that was not yours to share or to have. It was not beneficial to be shared, and in fact, the person that it, it belonged to probably would not like you to share that information with anybody else and would be offended if you did share that information with somebody else. Now, of course, we said there are, are things that you can share with, uh, that are about somebody else that when they're not there, that's, they've committed a crime, right? Something has happened where you need to tell the police, you certainly should say what has happened. But just because something is true about somebody else does not mean you and I are, able, are allowed to share that. That's called gossip. We talked about slander, and slander went beyond gossip. Slander was actually uh, telling falsehoods about people, making sure that, that maybe it wasn't the entire truth, it was part truths, right? Like, like, and and I, I talk about this in counseling with people at times, or when, when they start describing people like, well, they always or they never. Like, wait a minute, that's slander. Because nobody always and nobody never does something. Like, that's just wrong. I mean, at some point, they behaved in a way that was opposite of what you just said. So that's not slander. We, we like to put the always and nevers on people, don't we? That's slander. And we talked about critical speech, which is very much like judgmental speech, where we, we're critical of other people and we're, they're not good enough. And again, it's part flattery and part judgment. We're assigning conviction. We're assigning guilt to them. We're saying, you're, you're just not as you should be. And I'm going to say it out loud. Now, there's a time and place for that. There's a time and place for us to do that, but it's not in sinful speech, in sinful confrontation. We come to them full of grace and, and full of truth. In compassion, our, our language should be seasoned with salt, and we should do everything through and by love. And at the end of last week's message, I, I, I definitely felt like, man, this has just been a bummer. right? This has just been a bummer hearing about all the ways I've been so, so bad in my speech. And I knew we needed to wrap this up with a nice little pretty bow and, and go back to Jesus today and, and really look at uh, that there is hope. We, we talked about the very first, uh, first sermon was this, that, that, that everyone can, wild animals can all be tamed by humans, right? We've, we've tamed all kinds of things, but no one can tame the tongue. We knew that no one could tame the tongue. So today's sermon is called Taming the Tongue. How, how does that actually happen? How, how do we actually have victory in, in the way we talk to people and what we say uh, and how we build people up and even how we, um, how we confront and how we practice church discipline as well. So we're going to look at that today. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll get right into the content. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by you and we're grateful to be here today. 
God, as we come today in your presence and God, under the authority of your word, God, I pray you would humble our hearts. That God, you would, you would help us to decrease and you to increase. God, we desire to be led by your spirit, to be led by your word, to grow in it. God, we desire that you would convict us of sin and move us to a place of repentance and faithfulness to you, of obedience to you. God, remind us that we have been made new through faith in Christ. And God, because we are new, we don't have to be what we once were. Help us to be the body that you have asked us and called us to be. Help us be faithful to you. We thank you and we offer all the praise to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Titus chapter 3, I'll read verses 1 through 11, then we'll break that apart. Paul is writing to Titus and he says, Remind them to submit, he's reminding them, the church, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject the divisive person after a first and second warning. For you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. This is God's Word. Now let's look at, uh, look at this broken down a little bit. We're going to look at taming the tongue. And, and, and how is this accomplished? How, how do we tame the tongue? Number one is this. We tame the tongue through humble submission. Through humble submission. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 again in Titus. He said, remind them to what? Submit. To submit to rulers and authorities. To obey to be ready for every good work. That is, that is humble, humility. That is submission, right? We're to submit in humility to rulers and authorities. We are to be obedient. We are to be ready. And I love how this works. It's, it's not just, hey, we need to be people who are humble. And, kind of, and it kind of almost indicates there's a, there's a passiveness to humility. Like, I'm going to kind of be passive and just be the quiet one, let people kind of trample all over me. But that's not what this is saying. We are to submit, but we are also to be ready to be ready, and that's, that's active, not passive. Active readiness says, I, I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to submit. I'm ready to be humble in any circumstance I can. And he goes on to list how we should. He says to be ready to obey, uh, to be ready for every good work. For every good work. I'm, that, that's what humility should produce in us, is a good work, a readiness for a good work. How often do we know when, when we give a quick answer, we didn't really think it out, we didn't humble ourselves, how it was off target, right? It wasn't what we should have said. We, if we really would have thought about it and maybe humbled ourselves, we would have been then ready to give an answer or, or to speak something that would have been more in line with a good work. But when we were quick to respond and we didn't think through it and we didn't humble ourselves and become obedient to God, we gave something that wasn't a good work, right? 
So he goes on, so be ready for every good work, and here's what this doesn't include, right? He says, to slander no one. That, that's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? To slander who? No one. To slander no one. To avoid fighting. To be kind. Always showing gentleness to all people. I, I look at verse 2, and I, I, I can't help but see this. It seems very much like language I use with my children who are nine and seven. Right? That simple, like, hey, we should be kind to one another. Right? Hey, hey, we should listen. We should, we should avoid fights. That's how I speak to my children, right? What's I- ironic about this? It's how he's speaking to us. We need to hear it, right? We need to hear, like, we can be kind of childish at times. And we need to be reminded, like, don't slander people, avoid fighting. You need to be kind and show gentleness to all people. Then he goes on with the, with the, the, the he, that was a right hook, here comes the left hook, right? Verse 3, for we too, speaking about all of us, said, hey, remember there was a day, we too were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved. Hang on to that word, we'll come back to that. Enslaved by various passions and pleasures living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. That, that is a left hook, isn't it? Like that, That's just a reminder of what we were like before we found Christ. This was what it was like when we couldn't tame our tongue. No one can tame the tongue. But in Christ, now we can submit and obey and be ready for every good work. This is how we tame the tongue. But this old behavior, that was destructive behavior, wasn't it? Humble submission, again, is a readiness to obey God and to graciously and compassionately love others. And our humility comes when when we're reminded of where we once were and and when we see that the grace grace of God was given to us through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like We're reminded, man, I used to be like that. Then God's grace showed up, and now I don't have to be like that anymore. Now I can live differently. Now I could submit and be obedient and be ready for every good work. On James chapter 4, he says in 6 through 8, he says, He that is God gives grace or greater grace. He gives greater grace. Why do we need greater grace? Because greater sin, right? We need greater grace because we are kind of messed up people. He gives greater grace. Like I've got greater grace. When do we need greater grace? All the time. All the time, right? It is like every time I think, I'm like, oh gosh, God, I need your grace. Oh man, forgive me. Oh man, I, I just, you ever feel that? Like all the time, it just wells up in you. Oh man, I did it again. Oh man, here I go. And it's just, I gotta be quiet and quiet my heart and, and, and lean into God's grace because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? This is again, how do we tame the tongue? Through humble submission. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what should we do? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We want the devil to flee. We don't want to be in those, oh man, I did it again situations. I want to, be, I want to submit to God and resist the devil. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, choose humility. Choose humility, and you will draw near to God. That's our desire, is to be closer to God, isn't it? And the closer we get to God, the more we're able to tame our tongue. James 1, and we've said this so many times through the series, James 1 and verse 19, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone 
should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Do you want to know what humility looks like and what submission looks like and what obedience looks like and what a readiness for good work looks like? It is that you and I would be quick to listen and slow to speak. We, we must do that. We must, if you have learned nothing else in this series, it is keep your mouth shut. Be better at listening. Be better than as you listen at humbling your heart. Well, James goes on, he says, uh, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. That's what we want. Therefore, rid yourself of moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This idea of, uh, and this nature of being quick to listen gives me a spot, a space, a place in my heart and, and it gives me time to what? To receive God's instruction while I'm quiet. To let the word of God go deep within me and receive the implanted word which then is able to save our souls. I, I don't, I'm going to give an account for every careless word. I, I, I want to be clean and I want to not provide destruction and, and decimate relationships all around me. I don't want to have that be part of my speech, right? So he says, then, then be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and receive the implanted word which is able to save. It, it goes to the heart, though, as we are quick to listen. This is the heart of humility. As you and I are quick to listen, it goes to James 4.1, which, which as we look at James 4.1 several weeks ago, it says, what starts fights and quarrels among you? Right? You remember this? This is what I use with my kids all the time. What starts fights and quarrels among you? Doesn't it come from the desires within your heart? Do you know why you want to be quick to speak? Because something was ruffled inside. And so what starts a fight or a quarrel is my own evil desires within. Now, I, I certainly, my goal, and as we go through this, the idea, idea of words, right, as we speak words, those words should be words of life. They should be life-giving words, grace-giving words. You know, you know how we were changed? We were changed by the good news of Jesus Christ, right? And in our words with one another, what should we speak? The good news of Jesus Christ. And if, if it isn't good news coming out of my mouth, what is it? It's bad news and shouldn't be said. Good news. And good news highlights that there's bad news. Like, the bad news is that we're all sinful, and we're all not able to tame the tongue, and we're all separated from God because of our sin. The Bible says that there's not one that's good, and that, that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and that the wages of that sin is death. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? That's horrible news, but for the good news to be the greatest news ever, we have to understand the bad part of the news. And we understand the bad part of the news, that there's nothing you and I can do to fix that sin or resolve that, that relationship issue between us and God. The good news is this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ came. That he died the death I deserved and that you deserved. He paid the penalty that I should have paid. So that through faith in Christ, I can be made whole. I can be forgiven. I can be restored in relationship to the Father. You see, good news restores. So words that bring about grace and good news will also restore. It's about humble submission. We see it in Philippians 2. Alistair read this earlier. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. So that's that slow down, quick to listen, slow to speak, think about this, 
humble myself, be obedient to the word of God, and then, and then be full and ready for good works. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to their own interests, but also the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I just mentioned him, didn't I? Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. The God of the universe took on human flesh. Can you imagine how humiliating that is? To have an ache or a pain that the God of the universe never experienced? Like, I'm, it shouldn't be happening to him, right? He took on human flesh. And more than that, he offered that human flesh as a sacrifice. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He allowed that flesh to die, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, the world was unjust and unfair to Jesus. Right? They spoke poorly and dishonestly about him. This, these are the reasons that we respond so venomously to other people often, isn't it? They killed him, but Christ humbled himself so that God's glory and love would be seen. That's the good news, and that's, that's how we are to speak to one another, with good news. We ought to humble ourselves, taming our tongue for the glory of God. So how do we tame the tongue? We humble ourselves, humble submission. Number two, how do we tame the tongue? By grace, through faith, and into freedom. By grace, through faith, and into freedom. This is the reminder of God's grace. Look at Titus again, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. So it just got done talking about here's how we once were. Then it says this, but, but what? But God. This is the but God statement. But when the grace, right, the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. Right? While, while we were in the middle, and that, that passage of verse 3 just, just wrecked us. There was a left hook. It says, while you were that, his kindness appeared. He says, uh, and he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, by, by nothing we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Listen, this is saying we, we couldn't and didn't have to earn anything. We can't do it on our own. It's all about Jesus. So when we tame the tongue, we understand we have to embrace God's grace towards us, right? The kindness of God that saved us through faith, right? That this is through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's, that's who we're trusting. We're not trusting our own way. It's trusting Christ. And it's into freedom, this, this washing and rebirth that happens through the power and regeneration of the Holy Spirit of God. He's making us new. He's, he's, we're being born again. Hoyt talked about this a few weeks ago. We, we take off or put off the old self and we put on the new self, which is being renewed, right? This is, this is what we're talking about. Ephesians 2, 8 through 13. You were saved by grace through faith, not from yourselves. It's God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then, 
So, so since we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and we're created for, for works and, and, to, and to work freely for him. It says, so then remember, at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. At one time you were separated, right? You were called the uncircumcision. Uh, it says at that time you were without Christ. So there was a day, maybe that day is for you today. But for, for some of us, it, it's been in the past. There was a day at that time you were without Christ. And you were excluded from citizenship of Israel. And, and you were foreigners to this covenant of promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now. But now. This is the, this is the whole notion of God taming our tongue. It's, it's through his grace by faith. And it's into freedom. And it's in what he brings. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Today we're, we're celebrating the Lord's table. We're coming to celebrate the body and blood that was given for us to, to acknowledge that it was in no way something I earned, in no way something I could ever achieve on my own. In no way is the tongue something I can tame in my own power. It's all about the grace of God through faith in Christ and that he gives me and you freedom. He gives us new life and we're brought near by the blood of Christ. Here, here's more of our freedom. I'll, I'll look at Romans 6. Beginning at verse 6, uh, for we know that our old self, this is what happened. We, we were once that way, and now we're not. Through faith in Christ, where it was an old self, it says, our old self, it, it was crucified with him, that is Jesus, that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is, is freed from sin. We'll get to more on that in a minute, but, but God is freeing us. From what we were a slave to, we're, he's freeing us to live in a way that he's calling us and empowering us to live. And he goes on and says, if we died with Christ, and this is the, what happens when we come to faith in Christ, it's not enough to come in here and say, I know Jesus died on a cross. How amazing is he? He's the savior of the world. And at Christmas time, it kind of gets cloudy because everyone's singing Christmas songs and everyone thinks that for you know, 25 days, he's the savior of the world. And he is. But if he's not your Savior, you don't get it. It's not just a blanket statement. He came in to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And, and I have a need to repent of my sin and turn to him in faith and say, God, I don't want what I want. I want you. I want what you accomplished for me. Because I could never do it on my own. So he, he died on a cross for your sin. And he was buried like a criminal. But he wasn't. He was God, and because he was God, three days later, he rose victoriously conquering death. So that you and I, who have faith in Christ, we die with him in his death, and we are buried, and we bury the old person, and we rise to newness of life through faith in Christ because he rose. And because he lives, I will live. And all those who have faith in Christ can say the same thing. Because he lives, I will live so if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also now live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. So death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the good news, folks. 
This is that we were dead without Christ. And, and through faith in Christ and what he has accomplished for us, we can be alive. And we can not only be alive, we can live a life that looks alive for the glory of God. Now let's talk about this sin and this, this entanglement. If we look at Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. This has become a, a, a bigger reality uh, more recently to me. I, I, I've gone through these phases of real deep burden and sorrow and frustration over the world. Have you? Have you? Anyone else? I mean, I look around, I'm like, what is going on? And then I get mad. I'm like, why are you doing that? And I, I, it's just like, it, it gives us anxiety, right? You look around, whether it's politics or other countries or dictators or genocide or, or, or poverty, whatever it is, it's just nasty, gross, horrible place. And, and it, it's not far from us. We see it in our own communities. We see it in our own families. Things that cause deep, deep grief and despair. Can I get an amen? I'm not alone in that, right? But there's, there's a truth that I have clung to more recently. It's not a new truth. It's, it's something I, I should have known and known better. And it's something I think will empower you and I. Before we came to faith in Christ, before we died with him and were risen to newness of life and he made us new, before then, we knew nothing but to be a slave to sin. We knew nothing. Oh, I could try to be a decent person, but it was usually for personal gain. It was, it was all the deep desires of my own heart. And when we look around, what, what I, here's, here's the epiphany I had. I look around now, and I see the same stuff happening. I'm, it's not like it's changed, right? But as I look, I, I step back from grief for a moment. I step back from being anxious or, or really ticked off. And I step back and say, you know what? The world is acting just the way the world should act. And guess what? I am not surprised anymore. I'm not surprised. And when I, when I, and every news article out there puts a heading on it so that they want you to what? Be shocked. Like, can you believe this? Nope, I can believe it. Like, I, I totally believe it. I'm just not shocked anymore. So I'll, I'll read the news. I'll see the highlights. I'll observe what's going on in, in our world and, and what, what draws our attention. Man, I, I've, ta- I've ranted about this forever, about commercials, right? Just, holy cow, just what, what people want us to believe and want us to buy and want us to, to think is valuable. It's horrible, right? But it's not surprising that that's their answer. It's been going on like this since the fall of mankind but it's different for you and I. We who are in Christ, guess what? We have this ultimate freedom. It's not this freedom to do whatever we want. It's this freedom that we never had to actually obey, to actually live a life of fruit, abiding in Christ and saying, I want to look and live like he looked and lived. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to be different. I want to be seen as different. I don't want someone to look at me who should be different, who should know better, and be surprised at the way I'm acting. I want them to see someone that's a new life in Christ and that it lines up with who God is. He says, "Freedom for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. As it, comes, as it pertains to the tongue, you and I, before Christ, could not tame the tongue. 
But now in Christ, we are new. And guess what? We can. In Christ, we can. Paul goes on in Galatians uh, verse 13 of chapter 5. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But use it to serve one another through love. The whole world's using their flesh and doing whatever they want with their flesh. You and I are to serve one another through love. The whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul goes on, 11, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. That's that going back to that pride and that ego. It's, it's forgetting who we are in Christ. It's forgetting that we've been made free. It's forgetting that we don't have to practice this one-upmanship with each other because I'm never going to be good enough and you're never going to be good enough apart from Christ. And only in Christ are we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Only in Christ now do we have value to serve and glorify God with our, our lives and not make it about us and our own boasting. It's in Christ. Listen, when you and I have been changed by that good news, the words we speak will also be good news. They will be words of life and words of grace to others. Ephesians, Paul writes it in chapter 4, no foul language, right? No, nothing, no unwholesome talk should come out of your mouth, but only. This is, this, is, this is words of grace. This is words of good news. Only what is good for building up someone in need that it gives grace to those who hear. Words of grace. Words of grace are true. But they are kind. Words of grace comfort. Words of grace can even confront. Words of grace build up. They're valuable. Proverbs 25, 11, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. They're more valuable than anything set before you. In Christ, we are now free to speak the words of life and words of grace. <clears throat> Number three, if we want to tame the tongue, we should avoid what is foolish. Avoid what is foolish. This goes back to the humility, right? If I really humble myself, if I quiet myself, if I'm patient, like, like slow to speak, quick to listen, this should be easier for me to avoid what is foolish. I, I don't avoid what is foolish when I just rush into it, right? Avoid what is foolish. Back to Titus chapter 3, our last verses 8 through 11. This saying is trustworthy. Let me ask you something, church. Can you trust this? Yes, the saying is trustworthy. Paul wants to reiterate that to the church. Listen, trust this. I want you to insist on these things. And he's, he's, he's saying, what I just said was trustworthy about the gospel. What I said about being new is trustworthy. And, and what I'm going to say now is trustworthy. Those, uh, those who have believed God might be careful now to devote themselves to good work. We saw that, right? There was someone ready to devote themselves. These are good and profitable for everyone because we're others-centered. But he said avoid. Verse 9, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, Disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and they are worthless. Avoid. Avoid them. Uh, it goes on in verse 10. Reject. Not just avoid, it's reject. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time avoiding, during this time too, as we talk about the tongue and watching our mouth, I spent some time trying to avoid conversations. I spent a lot less time just saying no and rejecting. But we have to. We have to say, wait, time out, stop. Is this profitable? Do I need it? Right, All the questions I've asked before. Is this information I need? Is this information you're free to share? 
Do, do you, is this information you want me to use to help you go, go talk to your brother or sister in Christ? Right? We have to say stop. We have to reject. It says reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. So again, there's church discipline here. Say, wait, time out. We shouldn't talk about this. We shouldn't share this. We need to stop this. It's divisive. Then they come again. No, stop. No, we need to stop this. And then afterwards, no, I'm not going to listen to you. You, you are not repenting of this. You are pursuing division within the church that we're stopping this. This is what he's saying. Stop. Reject the divisive person. For you know that such a person, this is just a reminder for all of us where we might go, where, the, where our speech might take us. For you know such a person has gone astray and is sinning. It's sin. I, I don't care what you think you want to call it or what I've tried to call it or how I've tried to excuse it. When we are slanderous and gossips and when we're judgmental and we're critical and we're sarcastic in sinful ways, when we're out to aim to hurt other people, when we boast about our own self, when we flatter other people with, with unwarranted praise, when we lie, we are sinning against God and against our brothers and sisters. They've gone astray and is sinning and they are, we are self, he says he is self-condemned. That, that, that person is standing in, in their own judgment uh, and they will be judged for that. And the church is to judge them as well. Avoid what is foolish. He writes in Timothy, he says, reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Reject ignorant or foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. Right? Foolish and ignorant disputes breed quarrels. I, I've seen this so often in my own life, how, how these, the little things that don't really matter, we make a big deal of them. And at the end of it, like, why did we do that? Why did we argue? And, and what, what I see also is when we make the big deal about these little tiny things, Satan loves it. He's like, yay, they're off track. They've gone astray. He doesn't tell you that because he wants you to keep doing what you're doing. But we're sinning against God and against one another. We've gone astray. We aren't loving each other the way God has called us to love. We aren't being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. We're just saying what's in our heart instead of letting our heart submit to God and be ready to obey and to reject division, reject foolish disputes because they breed quarrels. Say no. Say, no, I'm, I don't want to participate in this. And I don't think we should be speaking about this. Say it. And if it's to me, say it. If I begin going astray, please tell me and say, no, Brandon, don't go there. I give you permission and I want you to do that. As much as you might think I don't, I do. As much as my face may turn red as soon as you say it, I want you to say it. I want you to tell me to stop sinning with what I say. And I want you to want that too that we would not be divisive. We would be united in the love of God and love for others. In 1 Timothy, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. What is that like? Well, that's, that's James, going full circle back to James. Be doers of the word. This is godliness. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who looks at his own face in a mirror. And after he looks at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the works or who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. 
So we, we avoid what is foolish because it's usually wrapped up in pride. And we, we are then blessed by what is wise because we are obedient to the word of God. And Ephesians 4 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Right In our actions, in our speech, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. That's through the blood and through the body, a sacrifice of Christ, we are sealed. It says, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. It's got to go. It's got to go. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. You remember the motivation? I know it's so hard. It's like, hey, stop being angry. Be happy and forgive. It's like, wait, how, how do we do that? How is that possible? You're asking me to forgive? How? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. When we understand the depth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should transform our lives. It should transform our speech. It should transform our thinking. It should transform the way we interact with one another. We should interact in love and in forgiveness just as Christ has forgiven us. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. How can we love? Well, we, we can love because Christ first loved us. How should we love? We should love the way Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And that's, that's how we come to the Lord's table today. Knowing that he has loved us, the unlovable, the sinful, the, the harsh, the angry, the bitter, and that he has made us new through our faith in Christ and he's given us his spirit and through the power of His Spirit and through humble submission to His Word, He can tame our tongue. And we can be used, not in our own power, but we can be used by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So, watch your mouth. Amen? Let's stand together and go to the Lord in prayer as we go to the Lord's table as well. Father, we, we're so grateful for your love and your graciousness to us. Wow, when we see how, how deeply we have sinned and erred against you, God, may we be mindful of, of how much it cost you to buy us back. That you laid down your life, you, you offered your body, you shed your blood for the atoning of sin, and we are thankful for that. And God, because you have loved us in this way, we can now love. And through faith in Christ, we are made new and you give us the Spirit, and God, you, you want us to, make, to, to be made alive, and you want us to look alive. So God, help us to do that well. Not under our own, our own power, but God, in, in submission, and humble submission and obedience to you, that we would say and do and live under the glory of God with all that we are. We thank you, and we offer you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.